Welcome to Witham Sounding Board, a podcast sharing powerful business tips, insights, and trends for those seeking to become a rock star in their industry. We are back at it again for another edition of Hot Topics in the Multi-Employer World. I'm your host, Aaron Slaughter, and we have a special episode because we're here again with Julie Tracy. Julie, welcome back. Thanks, Aaron. Love to be here. And we're so happy to have you here. So, Julie, you were really one of my first guests who came on the podcast to talk about cyber in the multi-employer world and just what it all looks like from our perspective as a firm who goes out and talks in these circles and engages with clients and prospective clients about what this all looks like. We're a year in and down in the trenches of the DOL guidances. Are there any lessons that we've learned in navigating what they've published? And, and it could be good. It could be bad. It could be challenges or pitfalls and just really anything that someone listening to today's episode would want to know. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. We always talk about, or I always hear it spoken about, the uh, the 12 items as it pertains to the DOL's uh, cybersecurity best practices. And, and really, when you really read it and you look at it, there are actually 77 um, elements to that, that the DOL is really looking for um, not only vendors, but but these funds to have in place um, to help protect the cybersecurity of the information that they hold. And it's interesting, I actually had a conversation recently with a lawyer, and we were kind of talking about this guidance. And I've always equated guidance with optional practice. It's not really optional. If you want to play, you, you show up for it. And his response was, that the DOL calls it guidance, but guidance really for them means it's required. And so, you know, it's it's the the terminology might be a little bit misleading, but it is definitely something that they are fully expecting um, all of the funds to have in place and all of the vendors that do business with these funds, trusts, welfare, health and welfare uh, plans, things of that nature. Anyone that's for 401k, for example, as well. So just making sure that everyone's understanding that and really kind of getting a stronghold on that. It's funny you mentioned guidance versus should versus mandatory. I'm always a big sports guy. I played football in college, and we certainly had those coaches looking over your shoulder. Hey, you should be doing this thing, and it really wasn't a should. You you had to show up at 6 a.m. lifting. You had to go to 5 a.m. film sessions, and that's just what it was. So I see that here, and it's it's funny because we're still in the same world. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's interesting too as we kind of sit down and and I spent a lot of time in the last year and a half talking with um, third party administrators, administrators, and it's really been enlightening. I'll tell you what the TPAs that deal specifically with. Uh, 401 or not 401k plans, but pension plans, health and welfare plans, insurance trusts, and things like that in the multi-employer space. These guys truly want and understand um, the desire to protect the information that they are entrusted with. And they understand that when these firms engage with, or when the funds engage with them, that they're putting so much trust in them. And I'll tell you, they have a lot of the controls in place, but what we're seeing that's lacking, and they're really putting forth, honestly, a great effort to get these in place, are the policies that kind of, you know, define 
what they should be doing and provide that that structure for them. I'm going to play off your football reference. To me, uh, a written information security program is very much like your playbook in football. Um, you know, you're not going to be successful if you don't understand the playbook and then implement it and implement it well. So I think that's where we're seeing a lot of the TPAs still working on those things. I wouldn't say that they're ignoring it. It's a, it's a long process to write an information security program. And, you know, we have been there um, helping them out. I've worked with some and, you know, I'll see that they're only so far and I'm like, hey, I've got a policy. It covers that. Let me send it your way. And so then they can then take that, customize it specifically to their environment. I think one other thing that that we have seen uh, as we're working with this, particularly around vendor reviews, is um, making sure that that measuring stick that we're using is the right measuring stick. Um, what we're seeing is either TPAs or someone, you know, maybe a, a law firm is sending out a questionnaire. And they and they're using this to solicit information as it pertains to the Department of Labor cybersecurity best practices. And then they're wanting to take this us to take the answer to this questionnaire and then review the vendor. And I think what what we're seeing is is a lot of um, to some extent repurposing of perhaps maybe a HIPAA cybersecurity questionnaire. And HIPAA and the Department of Labor, while there are some aspects that that overlap, I think the Department of Labor really kind of dug in on some some specific issues as it pertains to the multi-employer space that are unique to them that wouldn't cross over so much into HIPAA. And so what we're seeing is trying to measure with the wrong thing. You know, you're trying to measure something and seeing if it's six feet and you've been handed, you know, a one cup measuring cup to do that and it doesn't quite do the job. And so really trying to make sure that when we send out information requests to the vendors that it is appropriately aligned to the Department of Labor because really the Department of Labor doesn't care if your information security program aligns to HIPAA, unless your health and welfare fund, they really want to know, do you, are you meeting what we're asking you to do? Wonderful. I think those are all very, very pertinent points. And keeping in the same vein, so we talked about what the DOL guidances really mean and, and what we've seen after a year in. Are there any areas where the DOL maybe have missed something in what they were considering for plans something that plans would want to think about and just something that a listener may think might be helpful or useful for their organization as they start to update and implement some of these requirements. Absolutely. You know, one of the biggest things, and we always talk about this in cybersecurity, everything starts with the risk assessment. And while that is a a, a portion of it, I think really expanding that and giving it more uh contextualization uh, for these trusts to understand. Because, you know, when we sit down and we talk with them, one of the things that's really interesting, and we'll, we'll kind of get into this a little bit more, you know, I've sat down and I've talked with trustees and I've talked with lawyers, what's your risk tolerance? And their risk tolerance is zero. You know, they they don't want any risk. They want everything to be perfect. And in cybersecurity, we don't live in that space. Uh, we don't live in a low risk space. You know, we're trying to manage and mitigate critical and high. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're happy with medium. You know, if we can get by with medium risk. And, and the reason for that is because that target is constantly changing. You know, what is a risk today may not be a risk tomorrow and something that I have no idea about is going to become a critical risk in three days. 
but we don't know. And so when you're constantly chasing a moving target to try and keep that that risk at a very low level is very, very difficult. Um, and, and not only that, it managing risk is expensive. And so really helping organizations to prioritize how they're going to tackle paying to to mitigate those risks. Um, you may think that writing you know a policy doesn't cost any money. Well, absolutely it does. It costs manpower every day of your employees that are sitting there spending time doing research, making sure that it's appropriate, um, you know, writing the policy, then it's got to be edited, then it's got to be reviewed by somebody else, then it has to be approved by either your board or senior management. All of that stuff takes time and time costs money. Um, so really kind of helping them understand that. I think another area that would have been helpful kind of looking at this is helping people to triage what's most important. You know, the the 77 review items that are listed within the, the guidance are not all equally weighted. And so really kind of what we do when we sit down and we go through the risk related to various vendors and things like that, we explain why, you know, this person, you know, this particular vendor answered yes to, you know, 52 of the 77 items, but the items that were missing had a much larger risk profile related to them. They didn't have um, a business resiliency program, so they don't know if there's an incident. They don't have that playbook on how to respond and how to recover, you know, or maybe that organization isn't doing a risk assessment. So again, they don't know what risks are, could potentially impact their area. And I think the last thing, you know, as we kind of talk about, you know, understanding the, the risk tolerance of the trustees of these various funds is really whatever is provided to the trustees needs to be in a, in a digestible form. Um, typically, most of these people, most of the trustees, even the lawyers that we deal with, cybersecurity is not their day job. It is not something that they do day in and day out. Now, cybersecurity is certainly something that impacts everyone, um, whether they like it or not. But really helping uh, everyone understand, A, what it is, that it's not something that's like here today or not here today and is, all, you know, you can just, it's not flip a switch, turn it on, it's there, you've got a complete program in place, that it is a ongoing process and trying to get to perfection is unattainable. And so really helping everyone understand that and understanding that cybersecurity risk is a different animal than, you know, investment risk or different things like that. And so um, there's definitely an educational component, not just to understanding cybersecurity, but understanding how that risk lives in that ecosystem and how it's different than everything else. Really great points there. I can talk about the cost really fast because as an external auditor, we are required to get together as a group and talk about where all of our clients have exposure to fraud and to risk and to errors. And every time we add something to that risk discussion, I see dollar signs of how much it's going to cost us to perform this audit because we now have to add in test and investigations and discussions and documentation around how we're going to combat that risk and what that's going to mean ultimately for our audit plan. So absolutely, uh, the cost will go up with the amount of risk that we have. So great points there. So shifting gears a little bit, 
because I know I've been involved in conversations with clients and potential clients about what these cyber guidelines mean and how to implement. And I'm sure you've been involved in, in many more than I have. When it comes to strengthening cybersecurity and just how we all fit into this whole effort, whether it's the client or the planner or the organization, whether it's our role coming in as an external look at this, but what about the vendors? And, and can you talk at all about if vendors don't feel that these guidelines apply to them or if they feel like they don't have to be a part of the solution in this equation that I'll call it of getting our clients and, and organizations to where they need to be? Sure, absolutely. You know, I'm going to go back to conversations I've had recently with with some lawyers um, who represent many, many funds in the multi-employer space. And, you know, we've had some vendors that will say, you know, we ask them, you know, tell us about your compliance to all of these things. You know, do you have this in place? And some of them will just come back and say yes to everything, but won't provide any substantiating documentation. And we'll go back to them and say, hey, you know, thanks for your answers, but I'd really like to see, you know, at least some level of of confidence that you truly have these things in place and you're not just saying yes to everything. So I won't come back and ask you anything. And, you know, we'll get varying responses, you know, to, well, you know, it's secret. I can't tell you. If I tell you, then hackers can use that information to get in. Well, okay, so this is where that information security program is going to break away from um, the playbook in football. And that a policy really is more of a generality. So when you do like strategic planning with your clients and you do like five-year strategic plan, three-year strategic plan, one-year strategic plan, as you get shorter in the time frame, the detail becomes higher. You know, you put specific items in there that you want and that long-term plan becomes m- more general. Well, really those policies are to some extent general. Do you have a policy that says that you will require multi-factor authentication everywhere possible? Yes or no. And so you just in your policy say every application that will support multi-factor authentication, we will have that enabled for everything. It doesn't say what you use for multi-factor authentication. It doesn't say, you know, anything that would allow a threat actor to get in. And so um, what's going to happen is, is that, for some of these that refuse to provide any kind of of evidence-based support for their um, assertions as it relates to the Department of Labor, is there's going to become contractual language because that's actually a recommendation from the DOL that there will be contractual language that will allow you as the trust, as the uh, fund, to go in and audit their cybersecurity programs. Now, some of them will say you can audit it at at your own expense. That's what they're doing now. And they're doing it in a very a much less invasive nature than if they were to say, okay, fine, we want to actually come in and like do a SOC 2 audit. We don't, you've never had one, we're going to pay for it and we want to see what you guys have in place. And let me tell you, it's going to be a whole lot easier for them to answer the questionnaires, provide some some documentation than to go through the process of a SOC 2 audit. Um, the other the other thing that that I've seen <clears throat> is a uh, we have a vendor that we have been and I just emailed this guy the general counsel for this vendor last week and said hey I'd really like for you to reevaluate your position as it pertains to the DOL and the position of this general counsel is we have sold you our product 
That product no longer sits within the confines of our wall. So therefore, we are not responsible for the cybersecurity of said product. Therefore, we do not have to comply with the Department of Labor cybersecurity best practices. And the problem with that statement is a misunderstanding of what they're asking. The Department of Labor isn't asking for us to evaluate XYZ product. They're asking us to evaluate ABC vendor. That vendor creates that product that sits in your environment. Even though they they no longer have control over it, once it sits in that environment, they still made it. It still impacts the overall security of the fund, the TPA, whoever it is. And so getting them to understand and reread the guidance, it's not product-based, it is vendor-based. And so really helping them with that. And I'll tell you, the response from the law, the lawyers and the funds itself as it relates to this vendor have been very unfortunate. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of, you know, we talk about the the level of tolerance for risk with, like I said, with the trustees, and they have a very low tolerance of risk. And so now when they have a vendor who says, well, I'm, and it's a critical vendor that I'm not going to comply with the DOL and provide you any documentation related to it, makes them very concerned. And so, you know, there's discussion, should we move vendors? What should we do? And, you know, moving vendors, a critical vendor that holds a vast amount of your data is a very difficult proposition. Uh, but they are actually having discussions around that. And so I'm going to probably, you know, ping that vendor again here in the next couple of days and say, hey, have you come to a decision? I'm going to make my final report. Um, and I'll be honest, it's going to be ugly. So, you know, and I'm not, it, the thing is, is that my job is protecting the trusts and funds as they've engaged with us. And and I have to provide them the ugly truth sometimes. And it's unfortunate for the vendor, but it's it's in the best interest of the funds to do it that way. And that's the point that I was just about to make is, is that we're all working together, is that mm-hmm. all of the plans professionals have the same interest at heart. And that's that we desire for our clients to be put in the best light, to be moving towards those things and those actions that are going to keep them thriving and progressing as an organization. That's what we all strive for. So it, it's it's unfortunate that they haven't given us the responses that we're hoping to see. I'm sending good vibes your way so that these conversations can be better in the future. But no, those are all great points, all great points. So if anything Julie has said today has made your ears perk up, you most certainly can find her on Witham's website. If you wanted to see her in person and hear her live, You can also find her at the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans in-person conference in Lake Tahoe talking about various fraud matters. And I would encourage you to tune in because it'll be a treat. They do a really good job of putting on conferences and for the education and just the knowledge that's transferred there. Aaron, thanks so much for the shout out about the uh, conference in Lake Tahoe. I'm really looking forward to being out there. And thank you so much for having me today. It was great talking with you. Thank you for joining us. And for all of our listeners out there, you could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with us, and we appreciate that. See you next time for more hot topics in the multi-employee world. I'm your host, Aaron Slaughter. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll be first in line to hear what's coming next. Don't want to wait for our next episode? Check us out at Witham.com. That's W-I-T-H-U-M.com.